It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The sun's a-shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove. Beer showers. It's just the very best time for an Ole Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver. So ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. It's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip sitting in the guest co-host chair. On this Thursday, today's guest is Colin Brister stopping in for his weekly Ole Miss baseball report. Ole Miss had a one and one midweek, including a three to two loss to East Carolina on Wednesday, in which they were almost no hit, but they weren't rallying in the bottom of the ninth inning. Bennett, what's up, man? Good, man. How are you? Good. What you been up to? Just watch a lot of basketball that time of the year. Uh get, you know. Last couple of weeks of the regular season, get into conference tourneys next week. So it's a good time to sit down at night and watch a couple of bubble games and just kind of get ready for uh, for you know March Madness. Florida loses to LSU, seventeen wins overall, nine and eight in the SEC. Does that mean anything for Ole Miss? Not really. I think what it really does more is if you look at Saturday's game, Florida's got to got to play Kentucky. So most likely they're going to finish nine and nine in the league. And if you assume that Ole Miss wins on Saturday, and I think they do, Ole Miss will hop them in the standings. Don't have to worry about a tiebreaker, uh, you know, in a head-to-head sense because Ole Miss would lose that tiebreaker, obviously. So it's good for Ole Miss in that sense. And and Florida is really really bubbly. But other than that, doesn't really mean much. But you know, for a team that 
really needed another win. Um, Florida's really going to kick themselves not winning that game tonight and having a season sweep over LSU. So it doesn't mean a whole lot, but if Ole Miss takes care of business Saturday, makes the standings for the SEC tournament uh, a little bit better for them. I'm headed to Columbia this weekend for Ole Miss's game at Missouri. If they win, they punch their ticket full stop to the NCAA tournament. 20 wins overall, a 10 in the league. The NCAA selection committee has never left out an SEC team that has 20 wins overall and 10 wins in the SEC. Ole Miss would 1,000% be in. If they lose, there's still a chance they're in. Joe Lenardi has Ole Miss as an 11 seed in one of his last four buys, meaning they're inching closer and closer to bubble territory. In that scenario, you're drawing maybe Alabama in the SEC tournament, a team like that. And Alabama is not a good matchup for Ole Miss as it, Ole Miss showed going to Tuscaloosa and getting his tail whipped. So, they need to win on Saturday. Kermit Davis wouldn't call it a must win. I would, but must wins, it depends on your definition of the word. Kermit believes a must win isn't until it's an out game. I believe a must win, as far as the NCAA tournament concerned, is pretty much Missouri on Saturday. I think so, too, because I think if you look at the SEC tournament, like if, if you lose Saturday and you go to Nashville needing a win, a lot of those teams that Ole Miss would play on Friday night or you know whatever time Friday, they don't particularly match up well against any of those teams, whether it's, you know, a, a Texas A&M and Arkansas, they just lost to Arkansas, uh, South Carolina, if something were, weird were to happen, Florida, all those teams, Ole Miss isn't, that's just not a great matchup for them. You know, they, they play pretty well against Mississippi State. They match up well against Auburn because Auburn's not a super big physical team. So they're, they're a good matchup for Ole Miss to be sure. But there's also a lot of kind of landmines in there. And then obviously you don't want to draw someone like Vanderbilt who hasn't won a game in the SEC all does year. does nothing for you. It does nothing for you, and it's just all downside. You know, you know, something bad happens. You have a bad half shooting from the field, and you you know you you have you've avoided awful losses all year. Well, that would be an awful one. So it, it's just um, you know if you can just win Saturday and and take all of that out of play next week and just go to Nashville, win a game. Uh, you know, work on your seating a little bit. You know, if you lose Friday, it's okay. If you lose Saturday, that's great. Go home, rest up, go to the tournament. You just don't want to go to Nashville needing a win, knowing that a lot of those matchups on Friday night could be pretty bad for you. The podcast brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there, like recently. <laughs> You're just looking to get the best deal anyway, right? If that's the case, and to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates Alan Samuels is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, so they'll probably want to talk some Ole Miss basketball, baseball, spring football practices, but more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible and make sure you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Ole Miss has four quad one wins. That's more than Minnesota, Arizona State, TCU, Alabama, Temple, Clemson, St. Mary's, Creighton, and Xavier all 
other at-large contenders with Ole Miss for the NCAA tournament. St. John's and Indiana are the only teams with more with six apiece. Seton Hall is tied with Ole Miss with four. Are those the only teams Ole Miss needs to be paying attention to? Are there other teams that are on the bubble and fighting for a spot in the NCAA tournament that Ole Miss fans should be looking towards as far as how they finish their season? I think those are the main bubble teams. I think if you're going to look at anybody else, you're going to look at the one-bid leagues and hope they're not going to be bid stealers there. Uh, You would like uh, Nevada to win their league. You would like Wofford to win the Southern Conference. Uh, That league is interesting because they've never seen an at-large bid, an at-large team to the tournament. But you could really justify sending – Say Furman were to win that conference tournament or UNC Asheville were to win that conference tournament. You could you could justify sending the auto bid, obviously, and then Walford getting an at-large bid. Because I think they're an at-large team. I think they're really good. So if you're Ole Miss and if you were to you know find yourself on the bubble next week somehow – you know, those are the teams that you need to you need to root for the favorites to win their league, the smaller leagues. You need to root for a team like Wofford to win their tournament and to not, you know, create an opportunity for them to send. You know, the bubble is so bad that maybe they would think, well, you know, we've never sent an at-large SoCon team. Let's do it this year. So that would take a spot off the bubble. So I, I think those are the main teams. But you're going to want you, you want chalk. You know, you you want the favorites to win your tournaments. You don't want bid stealers. So yeah, I think you look at those bubble teams, look at the small, smaller bids. You want them, you want those teams to win. So that's really it. Lenardi has Ole Miss as an eleven, like I mentioned. Jerry Palm updated his bracketology on Wednesday. He had Ole Miss still as a nine, and that is safely, safely in Seton Hall. I, I think one of the I last think four. Palm I, is, yeah. I think Palm is. You know, obviously, I prefer his you know answer. I, I would much rather be a nine than eleven. I, I think Palm is kind of right. I, I don't really see Ole Miss as an 11 right now. I, I know that optically it makes sense. Yeah, they've lost, you know, a bunch of games down the stretch here. But Ole Miss's resume, you know, it doesn't have any bad losses. They've got four quality quadrant one wins. They've got seven um, quadrant run, quadrant two combined wins. You know, there's just not many resumes on the bubble that are going to be better than that. So I, I just – um, I know Lenardi had them as one of the first four buys or last four buys or whatever. I just don't see that. You know, now if they lose Saturday and you put a, a loss to Missouri on the resume, maybe that kind of makes some sense. But right now, I, I think Jerry Palm is much more accurate in where he has Ole Miss than Lenardi, and that's no no knock on Lenardi. It's, it's a hard thing. It's all subjective at this point, but um, I, I think it's much more realistic. You know, where Jerry has them. Um, as opposed to Joe. So I, I think they're very much not on the bubble right now, but lose Saturday, uh, and th- then things get a little weird. Missouri absolutely blitzed Georgia. Georgia shot terribly before anyone goes, oh, almost barely beat Georgia at home. Yeah, well, Georgia beat Florida at Florida. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is the Georgia, SEC. Georgia's just a weird team, man. That's a weird team. So they're they're going to be good against certain teams and bad against them. And, and you know, Missouri – for all their flaws, they've, they've got two really good players and Jordan guys and Jeremiah Tillman, those guys, you know, guys went for 18 to, you know, on Wednesday night. So, uh, George is just weird. I wouldn't take anything from it, but yeah, if you, uh, I think in an ideal world, Missouri plays a double overtime game that they lose and they, they come back Saturday tired and, and not motivated. Instead, they get a big road win, come back with a little momentum, Florida and Mike white, both trending topics late Wednesday night. Mike White, the former Ole Miss player, now the head coach at Florida. Had Kermit Davis passed on Ole Miss, as I reported 
in my oral history of the hire of Kermit Davis. Had Kermit Davis passed on Ole Miss, Mike White was the first guy they were going to turn back to, circle back to after the season was over. Mike White said to Ole Miss through not himself but representation that he was not going to engage in any other job opportunity until after the season was over. And Ole Miss got Kermit, landed him, but had they passed, they were going to circle back to Mike. I would have guessed if you made me put odds on it or say pick a favorite, who's it going to be had Kermit not gone to Ole Miss – Mike White was going to be the head coach. You look at Florida, they should be an NCAA tournament team. I'd already said that even before the work was put in from Mike at Florida that I don't think Mike would have been a very very good fit. But Mike's seat's getting pretty hot right now. And Ole Miss, if you're looking at Florida, it wouldn't hurt for Florida to keep losing. But I don't know if even Florida at 17 wins, not winning another game, still doesn't somehow get in just because the numbers are good. Uh, But I thought it was interesting nonetheless that here's Mike White on the hot seat, and that's a guy that probably would have been Ole Miss's head coach. And Kermit Davis said no. Yeah, I think it's tough because I think if you were just to take his results and put them at school X, you'd have to be pretty pleased. You know, 2017, they go 27 and 9. Um, they, they go to the NCAA tournament. They made the Sweet 16, I guess. They were a four seed. 2018, uh, they were 21 and 13, made the tournament again. They go 11 and 7 in the league. You know, that that is very, very good. And this year, they've had a ton of injuries. They have all their big men got hurt. So they they turned into a team that shot a ton of threes. They're not good at shooting threes, but they shoot a ton of them. They're still pretty, you know, top 15, top 10 defensively. Um, Mike has always had good defensive teams, you know, and they're still, they're 17 and 12. They're nine and seven in the league. That's not bad by any, you know, metric or whatever, but you're at Florida, you know, and the expectations there are different than if you were at, you know, some smaller school or some school that didn't win, you know, three titles in four years or whatever they did under Billy Donovan. So I, I think it's tough for Mike. I think he's a good coach. I think he's still learning. Um, but I, I do think Ole Miss, it, you know, obviously hindsight looking back, but Ole Miss ended up with the right coach. I think Kermit's much better, um, a much more proven coach, much more ready out of the box to go coach than Mike is right now. Kermit has Ole Miss at 19 wins going into Missouri. Missouri, like I mentioned, boat raced Georgia. What is the matchup? Ole Miss beats Missouri if what happens? Got to rebound, and, and you got to find somebody to guard Jordan Geist. You know, when when they played in Oxford, they didn't have anybody that really could, could kind of hang with them on the perimeter. Geist is, is really good. He's aggressive. Um, and then they've got Tillman inside. He's a big man that can rebound. So I think that's going to be it, whether it's Shuler or, or Terrence Davis. One of those two guys is going to have to check. You know, Maybe it'll be a, a you know by-committee approach. One of those guys are going to have to check him, keep him in check. He can't go for 30, can't do that. Um, you you do that, and then, you know, Bruce, Dom, whoever it's going to be, got to rebound. You know, don't have to score a ton of points down there. Um, you let the three guards do what they do, but you've got to show up and play good defense and rebound. If you do that, you should take care of business. It should be a win. You're the better team. But they do have two good players, and Kwando's a good coach, and, and that team plays hard. So it's not going to be a thing where you just show up and, and win the game. You got to, you know, you got to go and take it from them. They're, um, they're not the most talented team in the world, but they've got a couple of seniors that are going to, you know, on a senior night there, they're going to come out pretty fired up. If Ole Miss comes out and plays with the same energy and engagement as they did coming out against Kentucky, they win going away. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If they play the game that they played Tuesday night, they play that Saturday. It's a win every single time out. There's nothing Missouri can do that can beat that version of Ole Miss is just not just not possible. But, you know, Ole Miss is not consistently given that effort. 
And, and you know, we look at the second half, Ole Miss really, excuse me, Ole Miss really for large stretches of time couldn't shoot. And you can't do that on the road against a Missouri team that, that can rebound the, the way that they do. Because if you, if you, you know, go five minutes without a make, let them get rebounds, get into transition, get some easy baskets that, it, you know, the game just kind of gets away from you. So it's, um, if you play like you do Tuesday night though, that it should be a, a really, you know, 10, 15 point win, but they've got to go do that. Obviously. Terrence Davis was a monster. He started the game with a three. He made six of his first eight shots, 20 points, seven rebounds, finished with 12 rebounds, only made two of his final seven shots. Fatigue set in. But the MVP of that game outside of Terrence Davis was Bruce Stevens. He's not getting enough credit for how well he's playing lately and actually showing some signs of life as a defender. When you look at Missouri, if Bruce Stevens has another game like Kentucky or the last two weeks to where he's fully engaged, he's rebounding, he's making post moves and scoring in the block consistently, making a three or one or two threes in the game, almost will win that game. It's just like you and I've said after Arkansas, as we said, going into Kentucky, it's just so much to put on one game. And that's where if you're an Ole Miss fan, I can understand then if you're nervous or there's hesitation I know Missouri beating Georgia doesn't make you feel any better, not just beating Georgia, beating the crap out of Georgia doesn't make you feel any better. But Ole Miss is playing a high-level basketball, even though they've lost three straight and five of their last six. If they give the same type of effort, they win. But Missouri's no easy out. And again, it's just so much to put on one game. And Ole Miss fans have been burned time and time and again um, having to deal with these type of go-get-a-win moments. Yeah, you know, you look at the last time that they played, Ole Miss wins by 10. You know, it was pretty comfortable for, for most of the game. But Jordan Geist, their senior guard, goes for 23, 7-9 from 2, 2-7 two from 3, 3-4 three from the line, has four rebounds, you know, a couple of a couple of assists, a couple of steals. You just can't let them do that. You've got to have somebody, you know, in, and I think it's even more of a worry because you saw on Tuesday – almost get beat off the bounce again and again and again. You know, Tyler Harrow, um, great shooter, but also was really effective getting into the paint for them. And, and so Jordan guys can do that as well, can take guys off the dribble. So it's going to have to be Ole Miss's perimeter defense is going to have to show up. And, you know, and during this stretch of games that Ole Miss has lost, you know, it, the issue has been when they get into half court defense, they just can't defend for a full 25 seconds. They just can't do it. There's a there's always a breakdown or something goes wrong, a, a mental lapse, concentration lapse, whatever you want to call it. So, it, you know, you go Saturday They've got a good big man. They've got a good senior guard. You're going to have to go and defend. You know, the defense has to show up. It's a game where you've got to come out, defend in the half court, and do what you do. Because if you do that, you're good in transition. You're good offensively. You're better than them offensively. But it's going to be it's going to be a test for Ole Miss's defense. And, and I think it's going to be one of those things where it, it needs to show up You know, this time of the year. You go into the tournament play. You're a tournament team. You've got to go defend like one. And, and so I think – there shouldn't be any effort issues on the defensive end Saturday. It's right there in front of them. This time next Sunday, not this Sunday, next Sunday, Ole Miss will or will not be celebrating an NCAA tournament berth. Oh, I think they're in. I think they win Saturday. I think it's a good matchup for them. I think um, I think they go on the road and, and find a way to get a win. It may not be the prettiest game in the world, but I think they're going to win. Yeah, but win. that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, no, not at all. And I think they go to Nashville and win one. So I, I think they're in and, and pretty comfortably in. 
and an athlete that will be playing for CD next week. And, you know, this time next Sunday, they'll be, you know, it'll be a, an interesting feeling for the first time in a while. Ole Miss will be not only on the right side of the bubble, but not sweating out selection Sunday, trying to see if they made it or if they're going to Dayton or, you know, whatever. I think they're going to be safely, comfortably in as a, you know, anywhere from a, a nine to an 11 seed, maybe an eight seed, something like that. So I, I think they get it done. I think this team is too good. They've come too far. They played too well in these last games um, to, to not go ahead and get one more and lock things up. What do, Just, what do you think? Eh, I don't know. I, I've I've been in, around all the sports. I totally understand the skepticism. I, I just I can't get it out of my head how good they played against two top five teams in the past week and a half, and to to be able to yeah you didn't get the result, but to play that good against that quality of teams, I just have to imagine that one way or another they find one more win playing like that, and and they get in, and, and so I, I just. I just have a hard time seeing them not getting one more playing as good as they have the last couple of times out. It would be the most Ole Miss thing ever <laughs> to it lose really out. Would. It really would. And, and you know, the, the thing is, I, I think the bubble is so bad that there's even a chance they could lose out and still get in. I wouldn't want to do it. I, I, it would be – That would be seven be of a, your last eight. See, yeah, it, it wouldn't be great, but the resume is the resume. Yeah, you lose seven in the last eight, whatever – but you still have those quadrant one wins. You still don't have a bad, you know, quadrant three loss or whatever. Missouri would be a road game, so that'd be a quadrant two loss. So you still wouldn't have the bad loss. And the bubble is just so bad. You know, it, and if it broke, I think it would break the right way. I think there's a chance that it just wouldn't matter. I think they're in either way. But obviously, if you can go ahead and find a win now and not have to go through all those gymnastics to, you know, jump through those hoops – it's a it's a pretty good resume and one that I don't think it's going to be topped by many teams on the bubble. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Sitting in the guest co-host chair is Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions and soon, potentially, Rebel Sports Radio. More details to come on that. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. So does Colin Brister, and he's about to join us on the Chinese Pharmacy phone line. Ole Miss baseball, 9-3 on the year after a 1-1 one one midweek, a loss to East Carolina on Wednesday, a win over Arkansas Little Rock on Tuesday. Got UAB coming up this weekend. What does Colin expect to see? What about his most disappointing player, the MVP, who's surprised, all that and more. Colin Brister on the Chinese Pharmacy phone line. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-thru, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. At Cheney's Pharmacy, you get the best customer service out there. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online, ChaneysPharmacy.com. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Going now to the Chaney's Pharmacy phone line to speak to Colin Brister at Colin Brister on Twitter. Helps me at the Ole Miss spirit in covering Ole Miss baseball. Ole Miss coming off a 1-1 one one midweek, lost on Wednesday to East Carolina. Starting pitcher for East Carolina took a no-hitter into the ninth inning, actually two outs in the bottom of the ninth before Thomas Diller roped a single to right center field. Colin, it was a strange midweek, but I think the overall descriptor for this Ole Miss baseball team through its first 12 games is strange. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, term for it because they're not playing well um, objectively. Just for what you expect out of this team, they are not playing well. I mean, Mike Bianco was not thrilled with their effort last night. Uh, they get no hit for 8.2 innings tonight. It's uh, yeah, to be so close to conference play, it's weird to look out there and kind of see what you see. I think my number one issue right now with Ole Miss baseball is I don't see the spark that I saw last year. You saw it early. Maybe that has to do with pitching because pitching, it really sets the tone. Momentum is the next day starting pitcher. And for Ole Miss, Doug Nikhazy has a really good outing, goes five innings, gives up one bad pitch to Brickhouse for East Carolina who hits three-run home run. And that was it because Ole Miss offensively couldn't get anything going. They haven't played an overall great game as a team yet. And I think, again, that goes back to its inability to pitch well consistently. I tell you what, if, if, if there's becoming another issue, it's this team's inability to hit left-handed pitching because they just got it shoved. Uh, they, they got it shoved against them today, and I don't really think they handled Long Beach's left-handers really well over the weekend. So between that and, you know, not having, you know, defined roles in the bullpen, Parker Caracci struggling, it was not – to be 9-3, you, you, it could not feel like a worse 9-3, and three, to be honest. I look at offensively, Ole Miss is a strong team. It's going to hit well, but you're right. The left-handed struggles are pretty evident so far this year. But I think it comes down to a few guys. Right now, Mike Bianco has been committed to Tim Elko in the lineup more often than not. Greg Kessinger batting leadoff. Chase Cockrell is the DH. None of those guys are hitting well. So you're seeing these spurts of offensive performance, but when three ninths of your offensive batting order isn't doing its job and isn't picking it up, or one-third, I should say, it means that your offense is going to be way too sporadic and have days, not necessarily like Wednesday, but where the bats just can't carry if you're not getting the pitching that they were used to getting last year. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't really know what you do to come to, to fix it. Uh, Greg Hester is not coming out of the lineup. You can take fit or uh, Elko and, and Cockrell and put them on the bench, but at some point one of them is going to have to play because it's just not, not enough bodies without them. So yeah, uh, when you're when you're not getting that production, I, I don't know how Anthony Servidio is getting days off at this point. The way he's playing, uh, he didn't play, he didn't get in at bat, I should say, against East Carolina. He pinch ran late. So yeah, it's it's not the uh, it's not what you thought you would see three weeks in with you know an offense having having struggles against left-handed pitching and a, a bullpen that frankly has has not been as good as probably thought coming into the year. Anthony Servidio is the player, in my opinion, that needs to be in the lineup every single day. And Absolutely. Of course, I am not Mike Bianco. Mike Bianco is an accomplished head coach, most certainly saving Ole Miss baseball and making it into the perennial power that it is. But if it were me, I'd be tempted at least to put Anthony Servidio in center field every single day and put Ryan Olenek back in right field, yep. leave Thomas Stiller in left field, and figure out the rest of it from there. I just don't see a scenario in which Ole Miss is any better than Anthony Servidio in center, Jacob Adams, who's hitting pretty well right now at second base, and then everything else being as it was coming into the year. Yeah, and I don't really know. I, I, I'll completely agree with you because Anthony Servidio is the best outfitter on this team. He's hitting well and needs to play. Jacob Adams is certainly hitting better than uh, Chase Cockrell and Tim Elko. But someone does have to DH, and I don't know what they do there. If you put if you put Jacob at, at second and Servidio in center and Olenek at right, you have to find a DH. And, man, between Cockrell, Elko, and Fitzsimmons, nobody's really had that breakout uh, you know, offensive spurt. So I don't really know what they do there. I don't think it's really fair to Michael Fitzsimmons. He just hasn't gotten the hit bats yet. That is yet. true. Yeah, he That's just true. hasn't gotten the hit bats yet. So Michael Fitzsimmons draws the walk in the bottom of the ninth inning that brings up yeah, Thomas Dillard. 
Thomas Dillard then ropes it to right center. They rallied, get two runs, left the bases loaded to Cooper Johnson and the game-tying run at third base uh, with a lazy fly out to right field to end the game. But they did rally, and I thought that that was pretty telling as far as what this lineup could be if guys who I think have earned the right to get more at-bats get those at-bats, speaking specifically of Michael Fitzsimmons. Anthony Servideo running doesn't really count here, but his body of work so far this year – at least on paper, looks as if he should be getting a bigger role. So I think Michael Fitzsimmons is pretty much the answer at DH because Chase Cockrell, he's having the same issues that he avoided last year and being so consistent, and that is breaking balls are destroying him right now, and he's just yep. being fed breaking ball after breaking ball after breaking ball. Yeah, and I don't really know if as a senior that's something that you just fix. So between you know I, I, between him and Elko, neither is really produced. It's It's probably time to give – Michael Fitzsimmons, like you said, an everyday role and see if, see if that's the answer. Um, because I don't, it can't be any worse at those two positions right now, frankly. Tim Elko is the one that surprised me. I thought he'd break out this year. He had such a good summer, such a good fall, such a good preseason. And yet it's just not clicking for him, but the good for this team right now, Thomas Dillard, obviously Tyler Keenan has been consistent batting in place of Nick Fortes in that three or four hole, depending on the day in which Mike Pianco puts him in either spot. But from there, Anthony Cervideo is a good story. Jacob Adams is a good story. Pitching-wise, Doug Nikhazy, like I mentioned, had a really good day on Wednesday, even though he had one bad pitch. Jordan Fowler, he kind of is what he is yeah. at this point. He's going to pitch in the midweek. He has to. But the weekend rotation, you know Will Etheridge is going to be good. Gunnar Hogan had a really good outing against Long Beach. Yes. Now can you figure out Zach Phillips? But there is some good here, and there is some upside across the board for Ole Miss to figure it out and get better. But at what point is – the college season, which is a season of small samples, become get to a point where you have to say, okay, got to get some answers, got to start moving things around, got to start shifting around. Because I think Mike Bianco, if he had it his way, he would just have his lineup, roll it out there every day, and just plug guys where he wants to to give certain guys day off, days off. But when one-third of your lineup is not clicking, you got to start finding answers, and I don't think they found those yet. Yeah, Ole Miss is a little bit lucky in that they play Alabama and Missouri to start the SEC season. And Ole Miss, frankly, can out-talent both of those teams because neither is really good. That being said, it's about time for uh, to, to get answers and get the lineup that you want to play every day. And frankly, the lineup that they put out right now is not acceptable. Uh, Greg Kester hitting 230 at the leadoff position. Something has to be done there. I think he's let off every game this year, if I have that correctly. And at some point, you just kind of – you kind of got to move, not move on, but move him in the lineup because um, he's going to play every day at shortstop. He's too good, def- too good defensively not to. So yeah, you're right. Uh, they they've got to figure out some things fairly quickly. I think this weekend is is big for a lot of guys. This weekend, who needs to step up? Who needs to show you something as Ole Miss turns toward SEC play? Uh, Zach Phillips again. I thought he was better against Long Beach, but he's got to pitch well again. Um, Doug Nikhazy is pushing for uh, a weekend spot. And I tell you, Ole Miss, not to, not to belabor your question, Ole Miss is kind of set up with Nikhazy in that he could pitch next Tuesday at Louisville, and then he could throw again on Sunday against Alabama. And you could have him, one of your, I think, better pitchers on this team, throw three of your biggest games because Louisville's a premier team. And then you get to pitch him on the weekend in SEC play if you push Hogland to Saturday. So uh, I think if Phillips wants to stay in the rotation, it it, it behooves him to have a good weekend. Um, man, they got to get something out of either Elko, Fitzsimmons, or, or Cockrell. As you said, Fitzsimmons has not had consistent at-bats, and he's probably deserves them at the, this point. But they've got to get that straightened out. If, if we agree that Servideo and Adams should play every day, there still has to be another uh, another position uh, 
field, and they've got to get that figured out relatively soon. Justin Bench, the freshman infielder, fractured the middle finger of his right hand by getting hit by a pitch against Arkansas. Little Rock, Mike Bianco said on Wednesday he's out for probably maybe a month. So Justin Bench was a uh, really just a backup kind of pinch runner, um, defensive replacement when he needed to be. So it hurts, but it's not devastating in any way, and he should be back, like Mike said, in a month or so. Um, but obviously it's not ideal as you're trying to figure some things out. But I look towards UAB. I don't know anything about them. If, if I'm an Ole Miss fan listening to this and trying to figure out what to expect from the Blazers, what can I expect? Uh, they're an okay team. They're not going to be a pushover. Ole Miss, Ole Miss can sweep them if they play well. Uh, I think they come into the day at the same record, nine and three. Now they haven't played anybody. Um, you're not going to get over overpowering fastballs from them. You're going to get 88 to 90. They've got Graham Ashcraft who pitched to Mississippi State. Um, transfer there. It was really good against State in the midweek when they played them. So you're, you're going to get some decent looks. Uh, I think they've got three pretty decent starters, but you're not going to face the uh, elite bullpen arms that you'll see in SEC play. So I think it's a pretty good gauge to, to be able to see where Ole Miss is at. I think they're probably, in terms of teams they played on the weekends, I think they're the third best. I think Long Beach is, is the worst. I think Wright State's first and Tulane's second. So in between, you know, probably Tulane and, and Long Beach. Looking at some rapid-fire questions, what surprised you the most about this team so far through 12 games? Um, the inability to hit left-handed pitching, man. I don't, and, and I'm going to go through and find this at some point. It's it's kind of hard to find. Those numbers do not feel good because um, they they got shut down this weekend and they got they got it shoved up against them today, and it it's that was not an issue last year. They, they dominated left-handed pitching last year to be frank. So the inability to do that, um, I don't want to, a lot of people are doing the, you know, they're worried about Parker Christ. He, he said he had one bad outing against Long Beach. I thought he was better than, you know, his result at Tulane. So I'm not ready to go that far yet. Um, but yeah, I think that would be the, uh, the most surprising thing is how they've not really been successful against left-handed pitching so far this season. Who's been the MVP so far? Thomas Dillard. Like, I mean, he's, he's slugging like a thousand. Uh, he just consistently puts it bats together. I think, I think, and number two, I think is Cooper Johnson, just the way he's played defensively. I know that may be a little bit of a disservice to Ron Olenek, who's hitting like a thousand, but I just think those two guys, um, the way they've played so far is kind of exactly what Ole Miss needs. Newcomer who's shown the most upside so far. Uh, Doug Nikhazy, because I don't, I don't really know if they expected what they've gotten so far out of him. Uh, he's, you know, I think at this point he's shown he can be a weekend guy in the SEC and, and that's big for them. I think he's pitched the best of the true freshmen, uh, kind of, you know, going away. So I think, yeah, definitely Doug McKenzie. Biggest disappointment so far. Ooh, I don't have to think about that one. I mean, Chase Cockrell maybe, cause you know, you had the good season last year. You think he's kind of got it figured out and, and just, it's not happening right now. Slow starter who will pick it up and play well. Tim Elko. I, I believe in him. I believe talent wins out. You don't hit like that in the spring. You don't hit like that uh, in the fall and you don't hit like that in the summer and it just not translate. I think there's some pressing. I think he's being a little bit too defensive. Uh, the, I think talent wins out. I'm a big believer in that. And I think, I think I still believe in the kid and I think, I think you're going to work out at some point for him. I think that's why Mike Bianco has been so stubborn about keeping him in the lineup. Yeah. At this uh, point, I, I, you, you got to just play him. Just, cause, yeah. Cause you've seen what he can do. Uh, baseball, you're always going to be beholden to the streaks in, in which you're uh, dealing with as far as it, at the plate or on the mound, whatever it is. 
your streaks. Your streaks, there are peaks and valleys, there are whatever you want to call them. You're going to deal with those difficulties. How you bounce back? Well, like you said, talent usually wins out, and Tim Milka's got all the talent in the world. My question is, again, at what point do you got to just pull the plug and say, okay, look, man, you're just not doing it enough right now until you get it clicking. It's like Will Golson. Will Golson was struggling for a while, but it was mostly bad luck. I don't think Tim's is bad luck, especially when you look at his batting average on balls and play. Yeah, yeah and it was like today. Um, you his know, hard kinda, hit rate isn't there. No, no. His BABIP is not good, but like you said, I don't, I don't factor that in much when you're popping up to the second baseman. Today was a good example. He's sitting there in a 2-0 count, and the pitcher just grooves a fastball down the middle, and he just watches it. It was one of the few mistakes that kid made because while people, you know, oh, Ole Miss didn't get a hit, that kid pitched really, really well against Ole Miss. But he made a mistake to Elko. I think it was either the second or fourth inning. No, it was either the third or sixth because Ole Miss didn't get base runners. And Elko just watched it. And and I think he's playing a little bit too defensive. I think he's pressing. Um, so if he can play within himself and, and be the aggressor more at the plate, I still believe in him. And, and I think, I think he's got a chance to be able to put up decent numbers come SEC play. Um, like you said, and, and I've kind of alluded to, I, I, he's got all the talent in the world and I'm, I'm a believer in talent. If Will Etheridge is the clear cut number one, which he is in two weeks, who is the clear cut number two? Uh, Gunnar Hogland. I, I don't, I don't, I think he's really coming into his own. Uh, he pitched really well. I guess it was Saturday. Uh, yeah, I, I believe in Gunnar Hogland. I think he's going to be the – I think eventually he moves up to Saturday and the case he pitches on Sunday. I give you Parker Caracy or the field to finish with more saves by the end of the year. You're taking? Parker Caracy. Uh, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong. And especially if Nikhazy is moving to the rotation, I don't really know where else you would go. Are there any candidates, maybe Caleb Hill, that could come on nah. and be that closer? I think I think he's too sporadic with his kind of uh, fundamentals right now. The ball's all over the place. If I had to guess anybody, Taylor Broadway's been really good for them. Um, so if if Crazy just cannot get the job done, that's who I think they'd go to. But I, I still I still believe that they're going to give him every opportunity. Because if you look at it, Austin Miller's taken over that bullpen ace role right. for Will Etheridge. That's happened. You know what you got there. You know Will Etheridge is your ace. Your number two, probably Gunnar Hogland, even if you throw him on Sundays. But it's where the other pieces fall. You're right. If Parker Crazy isn't the closer, if Doug Casey's in the rotation, who closes games if Parker struggles? Like, okay, for example, if Parker Crazy comes in in a safe situation and immediately gives up the game tying run and Mike goes and pulls him and Doug Casey's in the rotation, who are you going to? Like I said, Broadway maybe. maybe. Well, I say that Connor Green is who you'd go to, but I don't know if you want to limit yourself into him just being a closer. You know, I think they wanted him to be able to go three or four innings on some weekends. So if he's available, I think that's where they'd go. Um, I think his stuff plays more as a closer than Miller's does, and that's not to belittle Miller. I think he's been really, really good for Ole Miss. But I think Miller would – or not, I think Green would be your second option in that situation. Houston Roth is the wild card in all of this. Yes, He's got to get healthy. Yeah. He's still dealing with a little bit of shoulder discomfort. For all those that are wondering what's going on with Gurr Holson, he was such a big part of the bullpen. He's no, maxing out fastball velocity like in the low 80s. Oof. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, I think it was like 86 was most he, he threw like recently or something like that. I mean, I mean, he's got to be as, injured. Yeah, I, I've heard he's gone as low as 82. They say he's not injured, but I mean, I don't know how you lose that kind of velocity. 86 is what I've been told, but I've heard rumor-wise – 82 uh, 82 could be as low as he's gone. I don't know for sure. But either way, Greer Holson is just is not in the cards right now. So I'm not even considering. Do you redshirt him at this point? I don't know. I don't know what you do. I mean, if he's throwing 82, he can't help. Like, and that's not to, to belittle the kid, but you're not getting people out at 82. 
Houston Roth then is the wild card. And at this you know, at this juncture for Mike Bianco, your team kind of is what it is. You just have to figure out where they're best utilized. I don't know, for example, if Zach Phillips isn't in the rotation, can his stuff really play up in the bullpen? I'm, I'm not sure. I think if at some point Nikhazy takes over, do you move him to the midweek role? That's what I was thinking when I was talking about it with someone earlier on Wednesday was, well, if Zach Phillips is in the weekend rotation, he could really lock down a spot for you in the midweek. But is that the best utilization of what he offers you? Because he does have a solid three-pitch mix. His fastball hasn't been the low 90s fastball that they were expecting to get every single uh, Saturday. But he does have some stuff to where he can ramp up against lesser teams and be pretty good. Yet... In the bullpen, they don't have all the solutions yet. Austin Miller is one, sure. Connor Green has been a great surprise and, quite frankly, saved them in many ways as far as needing arms. But Max Chofi hasn't done enough. They need more from him. He's pitched well in spots, but there are times when he just has blow-up potential. Can Zach Phillips be that guy? But if you are a midweek guy, you can still be an option on the weekend. That's one thing that can't be lost here because that's what Doug Nikhazy is effectively doing right now. Absolutely. I wonder, you know, not to not to get off topic here. You know, Phillips dominated this lineup. How much does that have to do with the Ole Miss lineup in the uh, being left-handed? That's kind of what I'm starting to wonder. How much does that have to do with with him throwing with his left hand? That's tough. Because I, I, I mean, tough, I, yeah. it, I mean, it's it's hard to say, but you know, it, he's not dominating anyone else right now. So, it, I, I that's that's to me is is the biggest question is this team's inability to hit left-handed pitching and I shouldn't say inability but their lack of ability so far to be able to handle left-handed pitching uh, because that's not just something you fix you know that's that's an issue that kind of sticks with you throughout the season and let me be let me assure you SEC teams will know that and they got left-handed guys that will take advantage Ole Miss was two for 30 against left-handers against East Carolina. That's not going to play. That's not good. Not good at all. <laughs> Remind me, what was your projection for total wins at the end of the year? Uh, 44, and I'm going to go under now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't – well, no, it wasn't – I think it was 42. I think it was 42 and 14 because I had them 22 and 4, 20 wins in the SEC. I stand by the 20 wins in the SEC. I don't stand by 22 and 4. Um, I still think this team figures it out at some point and runs off a reel in the SEC because I think they're the most talented team in the West. They're the second most talented team in the SEC, and I'm a believer that talent figures it out. So where does the win total settle for you? Uh, 40. I'll go 40 right now because I think you, you lose more than six games in the non-conference. You play 26. You lose more than six, and you start screwing yourself from a national seed and host, hosting uh, situation. So, I, I still think they're good enough to win twenty SEC or twenty SEC games and twenty non-com. So, I'm going to say forty right now. I'm going to Columbia this weekend, Ole Miss at Missouri, in a big high-stakes game as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned. Colin, you're going to handle all the baseball, right? Correct. Correct. All right. Okay. You, you can actually get in there, you know, ask Mike some questions, let him roll his eyes at you, and all that stuff. Uh, depends. Do, do they get no hits for 8.2 innings? Because if they do, I'm probably not going to ask anything. He's probably going to be pissed. He seemed less pissed today than he was yesterday, though. Yeah, he wasn't all that mad today. He was more just defeated. <laughs> That's kind of what happens. I wonder if you've ever been part of a no-hitter, because it was it was teetering towards that. I think if... Oh, I mean, he was there. I, it was there. It was two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, you got to go at Fitzsimmons right there, man. Like, you can't fall behind 3-2, because you know if Dillard comes up, you've got nothing left. What I do appreciate about Dillard is he said he was sitting change up because he didn't want to be early again on the change up, and then he just 
fastball right down the middle, he's not going to miss that. <laughs> no, I mean, I knew once he walked Fitzsimmons, he was in trouble because he's on the he's running on fumes at that point. Um, and then, you know, credit to Ole Miss, they did put some at-bats together. Tyler Keenan, to his credit, hits a lefty. He's had a little bit of issues with them this year. Uh, lines a, a liner to left field, drives in two runs, makes it three to two. Zabowski puts up a good at-bat against the lefty. And, and you know, whatever for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for Cooper Johnson. Uh, the third Cooper, reliever for East Carolina started Cooper Johnson with two, two absolutely balls. filthy breaking balls. Like, I don't know what you do. <laughs> you just sit there and take them and pray you can't do it again. Yeah, it's, that was a tough at bat for him to have to try to get the game winning hit. But the bottom line is, Ole Miss didn't, I mean, came up short, but did battle all the way to the end. And that's what you want to see. But that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed right. to battle to the end. So, um, yeah, you can give them credit to a point. But as Mike Bianco has said to me when I asked him, hey, they battled all the way to the end, they're supposed to do that. And if they don't do that, that's what is a problem. So, Ole Miss is nine and three on the year. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister on Twitter. Check out his covers of the Ole Miss baseball team on the Ole Miss Spirit this weekend, omspirit.com. And affiliate is 247 Sports. It's Ole Miss host UAB for a three game set. Thanks, man. We'll talk again. All right, buddy. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. That was Colin Brister on the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Simply search Talk of Champions. And I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com. And on the Ole Miss Spirit, as Ole Miss was about to tip off against Kentucky on Tuesday, Chuck Ronsville, my publisher at the Ole Miss Spirit, first reported that Ole Miss is hiring Jeff Coons as its new inside linebackers coach. Coons is from North Texas. It reminds me a lot of John Summerall. That's the way I look at it. He fits a similar mold, a hardcore, young, go-getter type of recruiter, um, fits into what they're looking for as far as a dynamics point of view with Tyrone Nix sharing that position for linebackers inside-outside. He left Kentucky, uh, did John Summerall in February, so that's who Coons is replacing. What do you think of Jeff Coons being the hire for uh, Matt Luke to finish out his staff? I think you're spot on there. When I first saw it and, and did a little research on him, I think the John Summerall comparison is is pretty spot on. You know, and I think a big thing that, that helped Summerall was he had coordinator experience. You know, Jeff Coons has coordinator experience. He was the co-DC at, at North Texas and has been a lot of places with a lot of good coaches. You know, he, he was with Tuberville at Cincinnati. Uh, he's been at Texas. I mean, he's been just a lot of places. Louisiana Tech. He's, he's you know, he's got a lot of experience. He's still young. Um, I, I think it's a really good hire. And, and I think if you look at what Matt has valued, um, I think I think Kuhn is going to be a good recruiter. But I think Matt has hired a lot of really good football coaches. 
And, you know, can you say, well, maybe you want one more dynamic recruiter? Yeah, sure. You always could use another recruiter. But, you know, with how Ole Miss is coming off of a bad of a three-year stretch on defense as you as Ole Miss has, hiring a bunch of really good defensive football coaches, which is what Matt's done, I, I think is just so, so key and so impressive. So, you know, it was a unit that just had been pretty embarrassing and, you know, Maybe they're not going to be a top 10 defense or anything, but they're not going to be embarrassing with Mike McIntyre and Tyrone Nix and Jeff Coons. That's a lot of good coaches. They're going to turn Ole Miss at least into a respectable unit. And, and you know, the, the days of Ole Miss just being a complete and total dumpster fire defensively, I, I think are, are, are going to be over pretty quickly. I think the most impressive thing about what Matt Luke did in the offseason as far as his coaching staff changes, a lot of former head coaches, mm-hmm. a lot of former coordinators, Coons was the co-defense coordinator and linebacker coach at North Texas. Like you mentioned, was under Tommy Tuberville at Cincinnati, where he was the co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. Adding that kind of experience matters. And I, I know it's anecdotal, but you look at the NFL Combine, and you and I talked about this on Tuesday, how much of an indictment it was on Longo. Not so much Wesley McGriff, because two guys running fast doesn't really change the overall right. problems for the defense. But offensively, there was so much there for Phil Longo to put together a dominant offense, and he just couldn't do it. Having this kind of experience under Matt Luke couldn't have done a better job. So when you grade out this staff now, and knowing what was there, and knowing what he's replaced it with. I mean, Calvin McGee's got coordinator and head coaching experience. Rich Rod, everyone knows the head coaching experience. Same with Mike McIntyre. You now got Coons, who's a co-defense coordinator. Tyrone Nix has been a defense coordinator at Ole Miss and a number of other places. Um, what would you say? What would you grade this out as far as his staff and where it's put together with now? I mean, I think it's pretty solidly in, in A, just because – you know, you, you look at what I think what Matt Luke wants to do. I think it's very similar to the model that that Davos Twenties built at Clemson, which is you know be a CEO type head coach. Oh, oh, breaking news! Breaking news! Bennett Hip reporting that Matt Luke is the next Dabo Swinney. Yes, yeah. Go ahead and put that one on the board. Um, go ahead. You know, it, he wants to be the CEO, hire really good coordinators, and let them do what they do. You know, you look at Dabo at Clemson. They have Tony Elliott. They had um, before that had Chad Morris on the defensive side of the ball. They had Brent Venables. That's his defense. Those are his offenses. Dabo just helps make sure the thing runs. And you look at what Matt's done. Uh, you hire Rich Rodriguez. That's his offense. He's running the offense. No one's telling Rich Rod. You know, obviously Matt has input and they talk about it. But that's Rich Rod's baby. You look on defense. That's Mike McIntyre's deal. And you've got multiple coordinators there. Uh, multiple, you know, guys that have been coordinators other places have been at, at big time schools, big time programs. So I, I think it's just a really good staff. I think it's a really solid top to bottom, a lot of good football coaches. And, and I think getting a guy like Calvin McGee to come in and help teach Rich Rod's offense was big because Rich Rod, you know, you, you look at the difference between the two just in terms of you look at what Rich Rod's done at West Virginia or Arizona or Clemson going from whatever that Phil Longo offense was to this Rich Rod offense could not be more different. So getting someone in that has experience in that and and has experience teaching it to players, I I think is so key. Um, And I think it's really going to help the transition there. So I think Matt did a great job. It was a tough off season. Like there was a lot to do on that checklist. It had a, you know, a lot of tough decisions to make. And I I think he did about as good as you can expect. And then you, you, you know, you, 
for the longest time, it looked like they were going to be able to keep John Summerall. Then obviously didn't happen. So he had another wrench thrown in there. And I think he did a good job there. And, and I think the most impressive thing is um, it would be very easy to go down and, and do this. But Matt takes his time. He's pretty quiet on his hires and just goes out and hires coaches that he likes. And I think there's something to be said for that. So um, I think it's hard to say it's anything but an A for Matt so far. Overall, as far as the offseason is concerned, A for coaching staff and that February signing period, I think bumps up the grade for the recruiting class. B minus? That might be yeah, a little I think too rich. Fair. Might be a little I, no, too rich I, still. I think B minus is fine. You know, they 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 won some battles in February. Um, you know, they 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 kept Jonathan Mingo. They che- they kept Jerry Neely. You flipped a couple guys on the defensive side of the football. You get Lakia Henry. I, I think you know as bad as December was, and it was very very bad. You know, they did a, they filled a lot of holes in February, and from a momentum standpoint, it, it seemed to have really made a difference. Then you go in and you make some more good hires. I, I think it's you know I think B minus is, is totally fine for the recruiting. You know, not perfect, but they avoided disaster, and there's something to be said for that. And then it, definitely a solid A for for the coaching hires. So I, I think it's um it's, it's kind of back to business as usual. There's no bull ban. There's nothing like that. Now, for the first time in a while, it's just they're going to go coach some football and, and kind of see where things lay. So I think it has to be exciting for them, and I know it has to be exciting for the fan base. It's kind of refreshing to get a fresh start and get back to actually just caring about football and, and nothing else. My opinion still hasn't changed, though. I still look at this as year three. And I know Ross Bjork doesn't. I know Matt Luke doesn't. But you you got to weigh three years. He had the interim tag. Maybe that's not all the way fair. I don't know. I don't, I have a hard time giving counting the interim year as as year one, just because I don't I don't think you know maybe he would tell you differently, but just from the outside looking in, I never got the feeling that Matt thought he was getting this job until you know maybe none of those until, coaches thought he was getting that job. He wasn't well, getting exactly. that job going so, into the Egg Bowl. So you know, w- knowing that afterwards, I, I just don't think that can count against him. Um, or whatever you want to do. I don't think that can count as a year. He he was a, you know, he was just kind of there, keeping everything in place. He was a placeholder. He was the the John L. Smith at Arkansas, and then it turns out that John L. Smith gets the head coaching job because they beat Mississippi State, and Matt Luke now runs this program. So I just I think it's year two. I you know it's not year one. It's not a complete reboot. You know, last year totally counts, but I have a hard time calling it year three, given that everything that was going on during that interim year. I'll tell you this, though. If you're Matt Luke, you really need to get to a bowl this year. And it's even more than that. Almost wasn't competitive in SEC games last year at all. Arkansas, they were competitive, but that's an Arkansas team that with that offensive talent, you should have beaten the crap out of that team. So... It used to be, back when Ole Miss was winning a lot of games and all that, Ole Miss went into every single SEC game expecting to win, even Alabama. And I'm not saying that kind of level of expectation anymore. But my gosh, going into Vanderbilt expecting to win, going into Arkansas expecting to win, playing Auburn knowing that you have a good chance to win, that shouldn't seem like so much of an expectation. I mean, even now, Ole Miss has not won a marquee game in three years without a quarterback going down at some point during the game. 
And if you're Matt Luke, you have to change that narrative. But you've gone a long way in doing that with coaches that have won those type of big games. But is it enough? And, and it is interesting to me, the dynamic of the coaches. And I've, all I've gotten from spring football, as far as how the coaches are interacting, is a lot of great interaction. They feed off each other. But that's the spring. Everybody's bigger, faster, mm-hmm. stronger. All the coaches are working in perfect harmony. There's right. going to be a point where there's some type of division. And with Rich Rod handling one side and Mike McIntyre handling the other, does that dynamic at any point become fractured in some way? Or there are too many Indians and not enough Chiefs? I, I don't know. But I will say that if Matt Luke is going to work, this was the way to do it. And Dab- it's the Dabo Swinney model. We're not saying he's Dabo Swinney, but that's the model he has to follow as a head coach because that fits his profile, and this is the only way it could work. And I I think the most telling moment for Ole Miss will be game frickin' one against Memphis. If Ole Miss goes into Memphis, plays an all-around fundamentally sound and good quality game, win or lose, that's encouraging. As long as they're not going in there just hoping not to give up 600 yards of offense, not just hoping to score right. once they get inside the red zone. The days of hope have to go away. There has to be expectation again because that's where almost football was. Yeah, it's, you know, I think at this point, you know, Ole Miss during the freeze era, they established that the ceiling was super high. And on any given week against any given team, they could go win that game. You know, they showed it, they beat Alabama twice. You know, you don't do that without having a high ceiling. But they also, established that they had a super low floor and there would be games where they just didn't show up. Florida, Memphis, games like that where, you know, they had no business losing those games in the manner that they did. And and so I think for Matt Luke, obviously the goal is to, again, establish that high ceiling. But I think the more immediate goal is to very quickly reestablish a high floor in terms of, you know, you may not win every game, but you're going to be competitive and competent and you know, going to be in those games late in the games, whether it's against Vanderbilt or Arkansas or Auburn, you know, you know, maybe we, you know, can't probably year one or year three or whatever for you can't really expect that against Alabama or LSU, but everybody else, you, know, you should be in those games, establish a high floor of being a tough competitive team that maybe you don't win the game, but that team afterwards says, man, you know, they came and played hard and, and you know, we had to fight for it. Ole Miss has to establish that level of, of identity and success again. And I think Matt can do that. And then once you do that, obviously you work on raising your ceiling. But at first, um, Matt's got to raise the floor. And I, and I think he's got the coaching staff in place to, to do that pretty quickly. I just want to know what the hell you are. I, if I said to you, Bennett, what is the identity of Ole Miss football? Don't say blue collar. Don't say Mississippi made. Those are taglines. Oh, I, I trust me. I, I was definitely not going to say Mississippi made. Trust me. Yeah. So what's the identity? What What do you know Ole Miss football to be? When they were at the pinnacle and winning a Sugar Bowl, high-flying offense, swarm defense, they maybe give up some yards, but t- mm-hmm. takeaways, they had things, some, some points of emphasis that always bared out for the most part, always bared out in games. What is Ole Miss football? What did they do really, really well? What are they? And I think Rich Rod more directly aligns with what Matt Luke wants Ole Miss to be philosophically and Mm -hmm. identity-wise, but still not quite there yet. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because I think pretty clearly, you know, Matt's background is obviously offensive line. He's worked with coaches that 
um, you know, were, were teams that played hard, played physical football. And, and so, I, you know, you can't run uh, three yards in the cloud of dust offense in this league no. and, and really succeed. But can't I think what Texas you can Tech do, in this league. You, yeah, you, you can't do that. You, you, you have to find a happy medium. And, and I think they've done that. I, I think if you want to be a physical run, you know, run first team, but still have elements of explosive plays to the passing game. I think Rich Rod is the perfect offense for that because, you know, he, they're going to be physical. They're going to run the football, but they're not, they're going to do it from multiple formations and multiple sets. And they're still going to throw the football and, you know, they're going to build around Matt Corral. And I, and I think Matt Corral is going to do, have a big role in, in kind of determining the, the image and the rep of this Ole Miss offense, because you look at last year, he's, you know, he's really talented. He's got a big arm, but he, you know, he goes into the state game, gets in a fight and he's just, he's brash and he's, you know, he's cocky. Yeah. I love that. And, I love all that. And, and I think that carries over to your team. You know, I think that becomes part of your identity is that, Hey, yeah, we're going to be physical. We're going to run the football. But we've got some confidence and, you know, we're going to we're going to fight and we're going to, you know, kind of push it kind of right. We're going to toe the line. And I, and I think that, you know, it gives them an edge that I don't think they had last year and a couple of years, you know, uh, especially last year. They just didn't really have an edge. They came out, they threw the ball deep. And if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. I, I think this team is going to come out and feel confident in what they do. And the scheme is really good. And, you know, they don't have elite talent, but they've got enough. And I think Matt's just going to, you know, increase that. And I think they finally will have an identity. And finally, you know, it'll be Rich Rod's deal. But I think Rich Rod's offense is the perfect thing for, for what Matt wants to do. It's a blending of his kind of old school physical run the football with new school spread, um, innovation, explosive plays, that kind of stuff. I, I think it's a really good match. SEC basketball standings after Wednesday's games, Tennessee 1, LSU 2, Kentucky 3, Auburn and South Carolina tied at 4. That means Mississippi State and Ole Miss are tied for 7th or 6th, excuse me, Florida 7th, Alabama 8th. Actually, Florida's tied with Ole Miss and Mississippi State too. Let's start over. Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, (laughs) Auburn, South Carolina State, Ole Miss, Florida, Alabama. Really quickly, Ole Miss maybe ends up at the 5 seed if they beat Missouri, probably. Yeah, well, let's, let's look Saturday. Uh, so Real Saturday, quick, no, we don't got too much time. I'm not going to take ten minutes, obviously. Um, so Tennessee plays Auburn, Georgia plays South Carolina, Texas Texas A&M plays Mississippi State, Florida plays Kentucky, Ole Miss plays Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, LSU. Yeah, so I, I think it's pretty realistic for Ole Miss to end up in that five six range. I think that's where they end up. Now, if you lose, things get really weird pretty quickly, and that's where you kind of trend down to maybe the the eight or the nine. But I think right now, if you look at Ole Miss and the tiebreakers and everything, um, obviously, if Auburn loses, I think they should to t- Tennessee. South Carolina's going to get the four, pushes Auburn down the five. So probably the six seed is probably where, where I think Ole Miss probably ends up if they win on Saturday. So I think that's a pretty good spot for them. Obviously, you would you would like the double bye, but um, six seed is kind of hard to, to scoff at. He's Ben and Hip. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben at Ben and Hip on Twitter. Check out the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. We're also Talk of Champions being this podcast available not only on the Ole Miss Spirit, but SoundCloud. And make sure to subscribe, rate, review in iTunes. Thanks, man. We'll talk again. Absolutely.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.